What's up, everybody? How you doing? Have you had a good week so far? Are you missing home? Do you miss your dogs? Do you miss your family, huh? No, yeah? What kind of dog do you have? Yeah. What kind? I love dogs. Same one the whole time. Hey, uh, we're going to jump into it tonight. I hope you guys have had a great week. Have you had a good week so far? All right. It was a bit of a trick question because what, what defines a good week? What makes us have a good week, right? Now, it could be the fun. It could be the food. It could be the time with your, with your community. But as far as I'm concerned, what makes this a good week is if you've been able to draw closer to God. If this week God has opened up your heart to more of who he is, if this week you've been able to sit in and be transformed by the presence of God, that's been my hope and prayer for you. And so we've covered a lot this week. I don't know if you've been reading in the story of Daniel as we've unpacked it, but we've covered four entire chapters of the book of Daniel. And as we talked about, the book of Daniel is this beautiful historical narrative telling us the story of some gentlemen who remained faithful despite their circumstances. And this is different like even than the world we live in today. Because the world we live in today may not fully agree with the Christian worldview and Christian ethics, but we're not being put into fiery furnaces for what we believe. And tonight we have another story just like the fiery furnace. Tonight, we're going to see Daniel get actively persecuted because he chooses to pray to his God. Now, if you remember what we've talked about so far, we've looked at a couple things. We've first looked at how we live very much in an exile. We defined exile as this. This isn't our home. Heaven is our home. And we're here for just a brief moment in time until God takes us home for those of us who have put our faith in him so that we can spend eternity in the presence of a God who the Bible describes as the embodiment of love. We also looked at God's character. And we looked at how God is someone who is what? He's holy, holy, holy. And how that means there's nothing and no one like him. We also looked at how we can persevere during trials, that Jesus himself promises that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because he's overcome the world. We also last night looked at sin, and we talked about how sin has had a damaging effect on all of humanity for all of time, because sin has separated us from God. Sin has left us in a state of needing saving and tonight I want to unpack exactly what can be done about that through looking at Daniel chapter 6. Turn there with me if you have your Bible. So just a little brief overview. As we get to Daniel chapter 6, and you saw this portrayed this morning in the, uh, in the live drama, we've had a, a change of administration in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in charge. In Daniel chapter 5, we see another king come in for just a moment, but at the end of Daniel chapter 5, that king is killed until we get to a king called Darius, 
Okay, so Daniel chapter 6 starts out with a new king named Darius, and let's just see what similarities they are between him and Nebuchadnezzar. You ready? Are you guys ready? All right, let's read this together. It says in Daniel 6 verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. See, the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree during the next 30 days that anyone who prays to any god or human that is except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember your majesty that according to the law of Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. 
And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's commands, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, nor his dominion will ever, never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Let's pray. Jesus, tonight as we open up yet again to your servant Daniel and this just incredible story of a powerful prophet who it seems like had superpower coming from the faithfulness that he had in you. God, that tells us so much about the importance of faith in our lives, but it also speaks measures to the goodness of you and the loving character that you have for us. And so God, tonight would you open up our hearts and minds to how loving you are, to how good you are, to how great you are. And would anyone in this room who's in need of saving be able to call upon the name of the Lord tonight? We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we've arrived at yet another very famous passage in the book of Daniel. And this one's crazy to me because we see Daniel, through his faithfulness, get put into another situation where he is in need of saving. He is in need of God to show up and to intervene or else he himself will die. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed help? Where you needed someone to save you? Maybe you were climbing a tree and got stuck. Maybe you got a flat tire on a bike ride really far from home. The story that comes to mind for me is one day my wife and I were at home and we were doing something inside the house. We may have been cooking, we may have been watching a show, I'm not really sure. When from the backyard I heard my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was about six or seven at the time, screaming, Help! Help! Dad, help! Now I don't know about you, but as a dad, if my sons cry for help, I might stroll over and see what's going on. But when my daughter cries for help, I've never moved that fast in my entire life. And so I run out into my backyard, and we had this very tall tree, about a 50-foot tall tree in our backyard. And I look up in the tree, and my daughter, who had just picked up the hobby of teaching herself gymnastics, self-taught. Terrifying. Like, literally, she can do, like, backflips and stuff, and she just, like, learned on her own. I think she got it from me, but we'll, we'll see as time goes on. I look up in this tree, and about 15 feet up in the tree, she had been pretending like it was, like, a bar, like, where you, like, spin over it and stuff. And she's just hanging by her fingertips. And below her was a sprinkler that had a three-foot piece of rebar coming out of the ground so that it could reach all of the grass in our backyard. And so I'm looking at her hanging there. And I'm looking down directly under her. If she falls, she's going to fall right on this spike coming out of the ground. And so I did what any father does. I said, you got to figure this out for yourself. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. I would never do that. No, I go over there, and I climb up on the fence, and I help lift her down to the ground. And I gave her a big hug, and, and I could feel the fluttering in her voice, and I could feel her heartbeat begin to calm down. And she looked at me, and she just said, Dad, thank you. 
Of course, that's what dads do, right? The reason I share that story with you is because based off the conversation we had last night in regards to sin, some of us in this room tonight are in need of saving as well. Sin has put us into a predicament where we cannot get ourselves out of it. You can't do enough good works to eradicate sin from your life. You can't attend enough camps or church services to eradicate sin from your life. You can't read the Bible enough to eradicate sin from your life. We are in desperate need of saving, and so what can be done about that? Well, let's look back at this passage. Look back at Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, if you look at verses 11 and 12, what we see in 11 and 12 is that Daniel's co-workers had kind of been spying on him, and they realized that he had too much power. And so what do they do as a result of Daniel having too much power? The Bible teaches that they tricked him. They put a trap out where they convinced the king to make praying illegal. And so what do you think Daniel, based off of all we've studied this week, did in light of that law? What did he do? He prayed. Why? Because he's faithful. Because Daniel realized that the only way he was going to get through exile is if he had God in his life. Daniel is now 80 years old at this time when this passage is written. Daniel is now an old man. And and when we looked at chapter 1, we saw that Daniel was captured when he was a young man. I want to illustrate for you for just a second what long faithfulness with God in your life looks like. This this issue of Daniel now being told that it's illegal to pray was a no-brainer for Daniel because for most of his life, probably 60 years, Daniel had continued to rely upon God for everything. And so, of course, as an old man, that faith is not going to be shaken because Daniel's just being who he always was. Friend, the, the life that God has for you and the maturity in faith that God wants to grow in you will not happen overnight. It's going to come over a lifetime of you walking obediently with God. And as you walk obediently with God for all of your lives, what you'll begin to see over time is that God remains the same. He's always loving. He's always caring. He's always faithful. And he always offers salvation. We read on in verses 16 through 22. We see that the king gave the order and brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den as a result of him breaking this law. It goes on to talk about how a stone was rolled over the mouth of the lion's den. And all night, Daniel is locked in a den with ravenous lions. This isn't Simba. This isn't like a nice, friendly lion. These are actual lions, and Daniel has been encaged with them. Daniel's been locked in there with him. And the word teaches that God had sent an angel to protect and to look over Daniel as a result of this. If you read on, King Darius, later parts in this chapter that we just read, King Darius is amazed in mourning. And there's a parallel here if you've ever been to church on Easter. King Darius is amazed in the morning when the stone is rolled away and Daniel comes out unharmed. Darius now begins to believe in God as a result of God's faithfulness to Daniel. And so he prays this prayer. He begins to write this letter and send it out to all of the nations. Remember what it said. He said, may you prosper greatly. I, the king, issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and and have reverence for the God of Daniel. 
for he is the living God, and he endures forever, and his kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He rescues and he saves. Will you say that with me right now? He rescues and he saves. God saved Daniel. And God has offered an invitation to save those of you who are still in sin as well. Friend, God loves you deeply and has expressed this love for you through the sending of his son Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice for your sin. God has offered up his one and only son Jesus to save you from a life that you deserved as a result of your sinning. Why? Because God loves you. Do you remember last night when we started in the book of Ephesians chapter 2? I want you to turn there with me. We're going to finish that passage that we started reading. Ephesians chapter 2. And what I want to do just as we read these verses, I I want to really clearly illustrate for you the fact that God saves, okay? If you remember, we started in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where it said, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace grace that you have been saved. We talked last night about how sin separates, about how sin always brings death, but how God offers life, how God offers salvation, how God saves. How does this happen? How is God able to offer us salvation? How is God able to save us? Well, this passage goes on to tell us. It says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. God has, a, God has an invitation for all of us to be rescued through his grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is an important word. In fact, there's two words in this passage that are really important for us to understand. Paul uses, when talking about the love of God, he uses the words grace and mercy. And if we're not careful, we can think that these are the same things. Here's how I would describe for you grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is a free gift of God in spite of your sin. So we can think of it this way. Let's say you're driving down my street, okay, and there's a school on my street. There's actually a high school, and you're going 100 miles an hour down my block as kids are going to school, and you're only like 12. That means you stole a car, right? That's like Grand Theft Auto right there, and I'm the police officer, and I pull you over, and I say, do you know why I pulled you over? And you go, probably because I stole a car and went 100 miles an hour down the street. Mercy would me be say, mercy would me say, would be me saying this. Mercy would be me saying this, well, I hope that what you know you did is wrong. I want you to take the car back home. You can be on your way. Mercy, I let you off the hook. 
Grace would be this. Grace would be uh, you're going to prison. Your parents' car is getting impounded. It's going to be a million-dollar fine. But guess what? I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to take it on your behalf. And so we're going to go before the judge, and the judge is going to go, I can't believe that you stole your parents' car and went 100 miles an hour by a school. Why would you do such a thing? Here is the verdict. Here is the punishment that you deserve. You're going to jail for 20 years, and you owe the courts a million dollars. Grace would be me doing this. I'll take it. I'll pay the price, and I'll do the time. The reason I share that is because Paul has just said in Ephesians chapter 2 that God not only offers us mercy, but he also offers us grace. God doesn't just let you off the hook, but he pays the price for you. Why? Because he loves you. And you live in a world that will tell you that you're only worthy of love if you could be successful. That you're only worthy of love if you can accomplish things. Our brains will play tricks on us. Our minds will tell us that because of the things we've done and the shame that we feel, we're not worthy of love. That we're not even worthy to love ourselves. But friend, God's word says that you're so worthy of love that he would send his son Jesus to offer grace and mercy for you so that you could spend eternity with him. God offers you both grace and mercy. And he does so through his son Jesus. If you've ever been to church on Easter, you've heard this story, I'm sure. The Easter story is kind of incredible. The Easter story tells us that in Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. It then goes on to tell us, as we talked about last night, that mankind sinned and had brought sin onto the earth. And in doing so, disrupted the created order of things. And so from that time on, for thousands of years, God created a system where atonement or forgiveness could only happen through sacrifice. And so what would happen is people would do bad things because humans do bad things. We all do. We're sinful. And so they would make a sacrifice. Much of the Old Testament talks about how and, and what these sacrifices are. They would make a sacrifice and then they would go on living their lives until they messed up again. And then they would make another sacrifice until they messed up again. But throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, in fact, over 278 times, God promises that there would be a day where one sacrifice could be made for all people of all time. And so just shy of 2,000 years ago, the Bible teaches that God put on human skin that he put on human flesh. We celebrate this at Christmas. And in doing so, God became man and was born of a virgin, and he had a stepdad named Joseph, and for 33 years he walked the earth, sinless, perfect, pure, blameless. Until when the time was right, the scripture says, he was arrested at the hands of the Roman officials by decree of the Jewish leaders during his day. And they brought him into the courts. And the Bible says that Pontius Pilate like, really didn't want to offer Jesus up to be killed because he didn't think he had actually done anything wrong. But in order to not have a civil uprising on his hands, Pilate looks out at the crowds and said, what should I do with them? And the, be the crowds began to chant, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
You know what's so interesting about that timeline happening? Is over 60 prophecies are fulfilled through Jesus being crucified. Like this is something that was foretold for hundreds of years. This wasn't just an accident. This is something that God had predicted through his prophets that when the time was right, this would happen. All of it motivated by love for you because God deeply desires to have a relationship with each and every single one of you here in this room tonight. Doesn't matter if you're a student. Doesn't matter if you're a counselor. Doesn't matter if you're a youth pastor. Doesn't matter if you work here at Hume Lake. God deeply desires to have a relationship with you. And so Jesus, having committed no crime while he was on earth, was forced to carry his cross for miles until he arrived at Calvary's Hill where his arms were stretched out over the crossbeams of the cross, his wrists and ankles nailed into it, and that cross was dropped into the ground. And for hours, Jesus hung on that cross as the very people he was dying to save mocked him, shamed him, spit on him, cursed at him. Have you heard this story before? What's so interesting about this story, and I think it's easy to overlook, I don't use the word story as though this is something fabricated. I mean, this happened. Even secular scholars would agree that there was a man named Jesus who walked the earth. But you know it wasn't the crucifixion that killed Jesus? Nor was it the Roman soldiers, nor was it the Jewish leaders. John gives an account at the end of his gospel where he says, at the right time, Jesus breathed his last breath and offered himself up. And just as he did that, he used words that, that, that sounded like this, tetalistai, which means paid in full. Last night we talked about how the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In that moment, Jesus paid the price, and so they took his body down off the cross, and they put him into a tomb and rolled the stone over it. It would have been on Friday. On Sunday, a group of Jesus' disciples, some of his friends, two women as well, came to inquire about the body of Jesus because there were some ceremonies that had to happen, much like a funeral today. And when they got there, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, what are you doing? They said, we're here to pay our respects to Jesus. And the angel said to them, he's not here. And it gives an account that in Jesus' tomb, when they looked into it, the linens that they had wrapped him with were folded neatly and placed in the corner and the body of Jesus was gone. This is called the resurrection. The resurrection was also something that was promised. The resurrection tells us that God has the power to make dead things come alive again. And why is that good news for us? Think about it for just a second. I want you to connect some dots. Why is it good news that God has the power to make dead things come alive? The answer is because our sin has caused us to experience death, which means the only place that we can experience life is in Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that has the power to make dead things come alive again. 
And it's this resurrection power that offers hope to us. It's this resurrection power that for you at 11, 12, 13 years old, now have an opportunity to embrace and to accept into your life. Because if Ephesians 2 is true, then you have an opportunity to be saved by grace through putting your faith in the resurrection power of Jesus. John 3.16 says it another way. I'm sure you know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world. We could do better, but we, we got it. You got it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That, that verse tells us everything that we've been talking about all week, that God loves the world. The world translated from Greek into English is cosmos, means the total of creation. For God so loves all of you. And sometimes I think it's easy to say God loves you. When's the last time you said to yourself, God loves me? When's the last time you said to yourself, God loves me? Sometimes it's easier for us to tell others that God loves them. But I want you to remind yourself that God loves you too. And the Bible says that not only does God love you, but there's hope in God's love because whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. What is belief then? Because if belief is the only thing that's necessary for us to not have to experience death but get to experience life, what is belief? See, belief is an interesting thing because belief isn't something that anyone else can do for you. You may say, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Awesome. You may say, I go to a private Christian school. I study the Bible as a subject. Great. You may say, well, I watch all the Bible Project videos. I already know what you're going to say. Awesome. Perfect. None of those things can save you. The only thing that can save you is belief in Jesus. Belief means to put your faith into it. Belief means Jesus isn't just an option. I do all these things and Jesus is one of them so that I hopefully might, might be able to be saved. Belief says Jesus is my only hope. Belief says Jesus is all I have. Belief says that the power of the gospel is the only thing that can resurrect me from my sin so that I can experience new life and an eternity with God. Last verse I'll read to you. You don't have to turn here. I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us exactly how this process works. And it says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This isn't a process that you have to do every year. This isn't a process that, that you have to renew like a driver's license one day. This is a process that you do one time. And in doing that, your entire life now becomes reoriented. It becomes not about you anymore. It becomes about Jesus. Jesus would say it this way. If you, if you deny yourself and pick up your cross to follow me, then you can be one of mine. That's what Paul is writing to the church in Rome. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? 
saved from death, saved from separation. Do you believe this? Is this something that you've put your faith in before? Here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to close this time together by praying for you. But as you close your eyes to pray, which I'd love to invite you to do, I want you to ask yourself this question, not out loud. I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he alone has the power to save? Have you put your faith in him? Bow your heads. Let's pray together. And as we pray, as you ask yourself that question, if this is something that you've never done before, if this is something that tonight, for the first time, you'd like to declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord so that you too can be saved, I would like to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I'd love right now to give anyone in this room who's never made this decision before. Let me be really clear in this time of prayer. I'm not talking to the people who have done this before. I'm not talking to the people who do this at camp every year. I'm only speaking to those of you who have never made this decision before. If this is something that you'd like to do, if this is something that you'd like to put your faith in, and tonight's the time you'd like to do it, I want you to pray this with me, just to yourself. You can pray it in your mind. You can whisper it under your breath. Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I recognize that my sin has separated me from you, and I desperately want to experience your love. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for offering up your son, Jesus. I give you my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. God, would you save me? God, would you resurrect me? Amen. So I want to do something a little brave. And if you've been to camp before, you've seen this moment. But I want to ask for a ton of maturity from those of you who have seen this process happen before. For those of you who just prayed that prayer for the first time ever. For those of you who are saying tonight, having never done this before, I want to put my faith in Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And on three, I would like for you to stand so that we can pray for you and that we can celebrate you. So just to be crystal clear one more time, I'm not, I'm not asking for those of you who have put your faith in this and maybe you've wandered or you've wavered and, and you feel a little spiritually guilty. There's a moment for you, but that moment's not right now. For those of you who have never done this before, if tonight you're saying, I want to put my faith in Jesus for the first time, I'm going to count to three. And on three, I want you to stand up right where you are so that we can acknowledge that, so that we can celebrate you, and so that we can pray over you. Are you ready? Having never done this before, tonight's the first time you're saying, I want to put my faith in Jesus tonight. One, two, three. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. All right. Stay standing. Stay standing. So, a couple things. I am so, so proud of you. 
The Bible teaches that it's God who does this work in our hearts. What that means is I don't have the ability to articulate words well enough to make someone aware of their sin and want to get saved. God has been chasing after you to do this in your life since the moment that you were conceived. That's the first thing. The second thing, the scriptures teach that the heavens rejoice when when a sinner comes home. That the heavens rejoice when someone moves from that threshold of death to life. God is so incredibly proud of you. He's been waiting for this moment since the first day you were conceived. And right now there is a party raging in heaven because you've just declared the good news of the gospel. Yeah. Last thing, from this moment forward, you are a part of a global family that's existed for thousands of years. The Bible describes it as the church. And sometimes we think of the church as a place that we go to. But the church is more accurately represented by a people group who believe in the good news of the gospel. The Bible teaches that the church is a family of which you're a part of now. And as someone who's now a part of the family, you have a part to play. God has things that he's already begun to do in you that now get to be expressed within the context of the community that you came to camp with. God has also, in his kindness and in his goodness, given you a counselor and a youth pastor who would love to show you what it means to follow after the ways of Jesus. I would love for those of you who are standing right now to just lock eyes with your counselor or your youth pastor. Just let them know that you see them. Let them know that you're depending on them. Let them know that you're looking to them to show you how to follow Jesus. What an awesome thing. It never gets old seeing people get saved. Congratulations and welcome to the family. Stay standing. Here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to extend a hand to your new brothers and sisters, and we're going to thank God for this moment tonight, and then we're going to worship him together, okay? Sound good? Lord, we say thank you for each of these students who are standing to declare the goodness of your gospel, who are standing, Lord, to say yes to the power that you have in making dead things come alive. God, thank you so much for those of us that get to witness a miracle like this. It truly never gets old. Lord, I pray that you would have these students. I pray that you would hold them in your precious hands. I pray, God, that all the things we've talked about this week that maybe didn't make sense until this moment, now that they're in the family of God, Lord, I pray that you would, that you would help them, that you would come around them with churches and people to disciple them. Lord, I pray that their questions wouldn't bog them down, but they would be like fuel that propels them into deeper and deeper intimacy with you. God, most of all, we just say thank you. What an incredible thing we just got to see. We love you so much. Amen.